Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our word for this morning from Isaiah chapter 6. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah answers, Here am I. Send me. You may be seated. The last weekend, Pastor Adams uh, had the opportunity to share with us a, a word about the authority of Jesus Christ. And as he was sharing that, he asked a question that's stuck with me for this last week or so. I'm going to share it with you here. When was the last time God's word had you in awe? Or when were you last awestruck by something that God had done in your life? Um, I happened to be reading uh, through the Reformation reading plan. Leviticus chapter 10 that morning when I had some words jump out at me and then this question at church. These are the words that I was reading from Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now these two sons of Aaron were priests, and they messed up. You think you know why it got my attention? Yeah. Um, here are two young priests. They're, they're new in their, in their role and their responsibility, and, and they go and offer an offering that's done in an unholy way or a way that goes against God's commands, and instantly, immediately, he, they are consumed by a fire. They are punished for their sin. Right there, it is clear, God does not tolerate disobedience. He does not tolerate sin. And a sinful, imperfect human being cannot stand in the presence of a holy and just God. So you take that, and then the reaction that Isaiah has when he finds himself suddenly in the presence of God, and and you start to appreciate what he's going through just a little bit more. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He thinks he's, he doesn't think he's going to die. He knows this is it. He's in the presence of the holy and just God. He is an imperfect human being. He knows the scriptures in the Old Testament. He knows what's been said there. And guess what? He's sure that this creature that's flying around suddenly grabs something off the altar and comes at him. This is it. He's done in. And he hears the phrase, your guilt is taken away. Woe is me, for I am lost, should be on each and every one of our lips. We should tremble at the fact that we are sinful human beings. And yet, when our thoughts and our actions and our deeds stand in direct opposition to what God would have us do, we do not shake, we do not tremble all that often. Um, A lot of the times, our first response is to maybe deny a sin or... um, Maybe just make excuses, right? Now there are some that take a phrase like sin and they just live in outright open rebellion. God? There's no God, they say. They they don't believe in in a God and an all-knowing, omniscient, creating, loving being. They, they They don't go there. Sin? 
in their eyes, is something that the church has made up to keep people down or to pad offering plates or to keep people living a moral life. God, what has he done to deserve my attention? They are definitely not awestruck by God. The problem is they will be not awestruck but struck down when they stand in the presence of their maker on the last day for a lack of faith. That's not you and that's not me. That's not our response. However, we we do say things like this. uh, I'm not that bad, am I? So I I decided to uh, create just a little test just to see if there's kind of any any sense of a rebellious spirit at all uh, within these walls. And so here's the test. All right, on the screen you see three traffic lights and rules of the road now. What does the red light mean? Okay, now you, yeah, come on. What does the red light mean? All right, what does the green light mean? Actually, it means go when it's safe, right? When the light turns green, you don't instantly hit the gas and go because you might have another car coming through the other side of the intersection. Go when it's safe. What does yellow mean? Who says floor it? See, I knew that there was a rebellious spirit somewhere within here. I'm not going to call you out. Um, other testing questions. Finish this phrase. Rules are made to be? No, folks, you got to hear this. Rules are made to be followed. You have to know that from the pulpit. Okay. <laughs> Rules are made to be broken. No. Lord, we are in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Lord, blank me. Finish, fill in this blank. Blank me for what I'm about to do. Forgive. Yeah, it really should be save me from I'm about to do. It's almost like, Lord, uh, uh, please forgive me. Or, or it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Now, okay, a little lightheartedness in our approach to sin this morning. But just to remind us, yeah, there are areas where we are not perfect. But here's the thing, and, and I've learned to appreciate this more as, as a dad of a young girl um, who's now four and a half years old and is, is learning to do a little bit better in terms of her eating by, by mouth. Um, the unfortunate thing, though, is she's learned this game as she's eating. You take cereal, or better yet, if you can get a hold of the spoon full of food, grab it. Oops. Just thank you, Lord, for hardwood floors because if it, it's just food all over the place. We had the auction yesterday and there were crunched up Cheerios all around where she was at, and I just felt bad for the staff. It's like, oh, there's no way we can clean this up. Oops. Now, as a parent, we cannot react to this. We can't go, no, don't do that, because guess what she does? She goes, no, no, no. Oops. <laughs> problem is, is oops, with a smile. It's not a heart of remorse. It's not repentance. There's another uh, way that we we can approach this. Author Henry Nouwen, as he's talking about trying to live a, a transformed or changed heart life, journals about this struggle that he has, and, and he uses this phrase, I love Jesus, but. It goes like this, I love Jesus, but. I want to hold on to my own friends even when they do not lead me closer to Jesus. Or I want to, or I love Jesus, but I want to hold on to my own independence, even when it brings me no real freedom. Or I love Jesus, but do not want to lose the respect of my professional colleagues, 
even though their respect does not make me grow spiritually. I love Jesus, but do not want to give up my writing, my travel, or my speaking engagements when they are more often to my glory than to God. I think we can all relate to a phrase like that. I love Jesus, but, and and you can fill in whatever that but is for you. Really what we're saying is, I, I love Jesus, but I want to do things, I want to do things my way. When was the last time you were awestruck by what you read in God's word? You know, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Uh, the wages of sin is what? You tremble a little bit at that? We should be. The wages of sin is death. Now, un- unfortunately, we are so far removed from the resurrection and Jesus going to the cross that sometimes we, we, we take that for granted. Um, we don't maybe truly understand that the cost that Jesus went there for the cross for us. But the reality is, is, is we have a death sentence. Uh, and and there, there's times in the church year when, when we, we, we reflect on that a little bit more closely. Maybe during Lent, maybe on Good Friday when you hear stories of, of the whip. When you hear about the forced march. When you hear about the nails. When you hear about Jesus crying from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But a lot of the times... If, if we're honest with ourselves, we do not daily reflect on the, on, on the fact that we've been forgiven or we have that work that Jesus did there for us. You see, you and I, we, we held the, the nails. We might as well have. We might as well have held the hammer. And, and we had a part in, in seeing Jesus crucified on the cross. But here's the thing, as as God looks at that work, as God looks at the work of his son, you know what he says? He says, I love Jesus and I forgive your rebellion. I love Jesus and I forgive you your sins. We had a death sentence. We are absolutely guilty. And yet God has given us a pardon. He's not going to hold that against us. We, we will not be eternally separated, which is true death, from our Lord. We will not have that experience because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Folks, that is a gift. That, that's a gift. That is, that is you and I being given a new life. And in response to that, we get to live out our days not as rebellious people, but people with a changed heart. People that recognize, man, every breath that we take is something that is, is special. As God continues to pour out his blessing upon us. And I want to share a story about this woman that you see on the screen. I was only 13 years old when I learned a, a phrase, cancer, actually metastatic cancer. Meaning spreading. An aggressive form of, of breast cancer that was going to take my mom. Mom was only 33 years old when she got that word. She had a 13-year-old, she had an 8-year-old and a 9-year-old at home. She wasn't sure if she was going to make it to 34 because the doctors told her she only had 3 months to live. The good news is is we got to have her for 24 extra years through through chemo, through through radiation, through prayer, and ultimately God's provision. uh, She got to see her kids grow up. Now about five years ago, mom, mom died back in 2011, but about five years ago, uh, my dad invited us kids to the living room uh, where, they, where we grew up. And 
my wife was there and, and, he, and he wanted to reminisce on this long journey that we had had with her, our mom. And he pulled out a, a journal entry and I'm not sure if we fully understood as kids what was going on, but this is the simple phrase that it said. I have three young kids to raise. What am I going to do? He wasn't sure she was going to make it to 34. The Lord wouldn't call her home until she was 57. The last five years of her life, she had just taken the gift that she had been given, this, this, this new lease on life, and she took it and she ran with it and she wanted to make a difference. And she found herself, she used to be an administrative assistant uh, working for a CEO in a corporation. I wasn't fulfilling, it wasn't doing it. She ended up working at the church, in a church, a mission start, and then eventually later got the opportunity to work for President Bob Newton in the California, Nevada, Hawaii district in the LCMS one of his administrative assistants, working for the church, using her gifts to make a difference. And then she was allowed to, to have a, an impact in women's ministry and, and got to do so at, at the district level. And there were a number of ladies that were empowered and impacted by some of the things that she, my mom got to do. So much so that at her funeral, a neighboring church, a congregation, where there was about 40 ladies, had decided during that funeral they were going to cook the funeral luncheon for the 400 that were gathered for us, celebrating my mom's faith in life and what Jesus had done. They didn't charge us a dime. They just cooked the meal and they said, thank you. My mom had a new lease on life, and she wanted to use it to the glory of God. And when you ask her, what are you doing this for? It's because God has given me so much. Folks, that, that's, that's what we get to do. I mean, and that's the response that Isaiah had. He had a new lease on life. It wasn't when he heard God's voice saying, whom shall I send and, and who will go for me? He wasn't like, uh, right here. He was like, here I am. Send me. Because you have taken away my guilt. I want to be able to declare to the world your goodness and your, and your glory. I want to live my life for you. I want to make a difference. And that's what Peter and James and John did when they were with the rabbi. And they knew there was something special about this man. But when they hauled in that, that boatload of fish and they had to call their buddies over to help him out. Two boatloads almost sinking. Peter recognizes he's in the presence of something special and he falls to his knees. He says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus looks at him and he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And Peter, James, and John, when their boats made it to the shore, they immediately left and they followed Jesus. They had been given a new lease on life. Did they get it perfect? No. But by the time of the Pentecost, by the time Jesus was up and ascended with his Father, and the Holy Spirit was alive and working in the church, Peter, James, and John got to see people come to faith by the thousands. They had a new lease on life. They wanted to follow the Lord. And they would leave and lay down their life for him if they had to. What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? What is our response? My prayer is that we live, we live redeemed. We live, do this with me, taking a breath. No, seriously, breathe in. And, and then breathe out. And, and recognize that even that is a gift. We get to live redeemed in the, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is you and it is me saying, I love Jesus and. 
I want to show by word and deed how beautiful it is to live with him. I love Jesus and I want to live redeemed. Amen? Uh-uh. <laughs> Come on, Lutherans. Amen? I want to live redeemed. We can take that hope to the streets because we know the streets need it. We know there are people out there that are living an outright of rebellion and they're going to be struck down because of the lack of faith. We get to show hope because we've been given the hope of hopes. Amen? Amen. (laughs) You got some hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and lives in Christ Jesus. Amen.